I'm Dr. Pete Economo, the East Coast psychologist. And I'm Dr. Nikki Rubin, the West Coast psychologist. And this is When East Meets West. Well, another exciting guest and opportunity here at When East Meets West. Nikki, this is a good one. I know. I, I'm really excited because um, I just got to chat with our guest a little bit and I'd watched his his TED Talk. Anyway, I'm really excited about today because I think I'm, I'm going to learn a lot. Well, today we have with us Gene Semmelford Jr. He is a licensed professional counselor. And what I will say is he's a dear friend, colleague, and I have had the privilege to supervise and watch Gene grow. Uh, he's currently uh, practicing uh, at his own private practice called Cactus. Uh, And what I really love about the Cactus Center, New Jersey, uh, and I'm going to maybe ask him to explain it, but it is this this the cactus came to mind because we're developing tougher skin and spikes to protect ourselves from problematic situations. Uh, He has a TED talk uh, on toxic masculinity, uh, and he's a consultant for many universities in the New Jersey area, uh, of which I'm very familiar with because I have tapped him many times to come help me with some of the teams I work with. So Gene, welcome to When East Meets West. Uh, thank you both for having me. Um, it's it's a pleasure to be on this show and and, and speak to the both of you. Um, but yes, yeah, uh, Pete and I go way back, uh, way, way back. So <laughs> Well, it's Pete's not that long. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, Pete's always like, don't age me, don't age me. <laughs> it's not that long, but I, I, I mean it. It was, uh, so Gene, you know, it's, it's a, I thank you for this. And it's so great to, that we're still here. And, you know, uh, like Nikki said, we're just thankful to learn today. We're both looking to learn from you. And, you know, maybe where do you want to start? Do you want to start with just defining toxic masculinity or how you got how you got into this work? Um, so I mean, I could start by just de- describing how I got into this work yeah. in particular. So I'm the youngest of three. So I have two older sisters that are twins. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was raised in a household with myself, my two older sisters and my mother. Um, and so when I tell folks that I had to hear a problem, I heard it three times <laughs> if I did something problematic. Um, so it was, and there's a nine year difference. So I'm almost like a oh, only okay. child slash, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. slash younger sibling. Um, but nonetheless, I've, I've witnessed a great deal of interpersonal violence um, mm. that my sisters mm. and my mother have sustained, um, mm. abuse uh, in, in many different forms, in many different ways. And so uh, for myself, uh, I felt always helpless mm-hmm. in some ways because I was the younger brother um, and I was always I'm small in stature. Uh, so this idea of being physically menacing or mm. protective wasn't a part of my tool set. Mm. Uh, so one of the things I learned was to be sort of compassionate and empathetic and supportive to my sisters. Uh, but in that process, I've been super sensitive around gender, mm-hmm. um, just kind of gender expectations, gender um, stereotypes, gender norms, things that sort. And I've c- carried that with me throughout my career. And it wasn't until probably undergrad that I started really exploring my own gender. I had mm-hmm. those feelings, but I never had the word or vernacular or the- the- theological um, explanations mm-hmm. to really describe my own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. But it was working in a women's center at Ramapo College where I got my start and my introduction to uh, feminist, Black feminist thought and theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those things just felt like a check mark on a checklist. It was like, yes, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah, so wow. I connected very much so with it. And I think from then it just kind of went on uh, to the point that I've tried to incorporate it in my clinical practice. And in anything that I do, I'm very particular to just identities um, in mm-hmm. general and the intersections of them. 
That's, that's wonderful. And I, you know, I'm always so appreciative when, um, especially a clinician is willing to share about how their own personal experience has informed their lens and the work that they do, because, you know, obviously Pete and I talk a lot about this. I'm sure you guys have had many conversations about context. Context is everything, especially from a behavioral science lens. And, you know, I'm always sort of perplexed when, um, clinicians are willful around, discussing and getting curious and identifying how their own context informs um, how they think about things and what they bring to their work. So I really appreciate you um, not only, of course, actively using that to inform what you do, but to talk about it. Of course, of course. I mean, it's necessary, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> but I think so. Yeah. And I'm sitting here wondering, like, do like how many people would be confused by that? You know, because I'm also what like I'm also wondering if you share because obviously it's a podcast, not everyone can see. So Nikki and I, when we talk about like privilege, we'll be like, we're two white people for those yes. that maybe can't tell. Like, I wonder if you maybe bring if you would talk a little bit about your identities and and how gender because I'm I, I'm thinking that there might be like another man out there being like, well, how is a man thinking about gender and studying femi- black feminist theory? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think I share it in a sense of just recognizing that disclosure to some extent has some power, mm-hmm. um, of course, right. In clinical practice. But I do think it, it, it creates a, a, it humanizes the individual that's providing the services Yeah to that person, which I think in in many ways breaks down that barrier and allows for just relation and connection. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so if folks could kind of see me talk about and reflect on gender and and understand what impassioned me to kind of come into this work, um, Mm -hmm. then I think they're they're more likely to sort of connect with it. But I also think it it informs my work significantly. And I have to be cognizant of gender because in many respects, uh, gender plays a part in some of these attributes and characteristics and belief systems that we yes. particularly internalize um, yeah. because they've been sort of just we've been bombarded with them mm. uh, in so many ways to the point where we almost feel that a part of our survival is to hold on to these things. Um, so I think it, it just it just feels essential right, mm. to really mm-hmm. identify like who I am as mm-hmm. a person, not just kind of my presenting identities that maybe can be assumed sure. in some ways, but just, you know, just who I am, right? Yeah. Your values, who you are. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yes. Well, and, and Gene, I'm wondering if kind of going off of that, if, if, cause I think now maybe be a really helpful time, if you could define for our listeners, uh, some of these belief systems that you're alluding to that kind of exist in the world, you know, so if we could actually talk really concretely about toxic ma- masculinity, because I think, you know, I know that's, um, I would say like, maybe that's a little bit more in the sort of like lexicon of the world now, like some people sort of hear it a little bit more, which is helpful. Right. And, um, Hmm. I would say it's, 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 uh, more newly utilized that some people might be listening, going like, what does that mean? Toxic masculinity? No, absolutely. So, I mean, I think there's varying definitions of toxic masculinity that exists. Right. And some Mm -hmm. people might not even use toxic. They'll use traditional or hegemonic Mm -hmm. um, as a description. But I think the part of the toxicity is more so what characteristics that are existing within toxic toxic masculinity that we're holding on to that impact sort of our own. how do you say our own development, our own health, but also our interpersonal skills and relationships with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, in the toxicity piece that I like to describe it is that I'm holding on to these characteristics so much that I myself feel am suffering from the toxicity of those characteristics. But then those around me are also being poisoned by the kind of toxicity that's right. uh, emanating from my pores mm. right. Right, to some degree. 
Uh, and some of those characteristics tend to be uh, things like, I mean, the age old thing, like boys don't cry, men don't right. cry, we don't express emotions, um, almost dominating particular pieces where I have to dominate in every space. I have to present as intellectual. Um, I have to be a master of all things. I have to be handy, right? Yeah. Um, or, or if we, and Are if you? we become, I'm not. <laughs> well, you know what? Interesting enough, I think I've, I've observed it a lot. So yeah. I can do it if I need to do it, but I don't want to do it. Yeah. I only ask because I'm not. And, and uh, you're right. Like if there was a gun to my head, maybe I could hang a shelf, but I'd rather just have someone else do it because I know it's not going to yeah. fall if someone else hangs it. But if I, if I hang it, it might fall. But I, I appreciate that example. And I think that people will connect with that. And then what about intersectionality then? Because I think before we dive deeper into masculinity, Mm-hmm. You mentioned this term intersectionality, and I'm thinking, Nikki, that's probably like a, in that similar lexicon world. I totally agree yeah. with that. People yeah. hear it and, and, you know, people are like, I kind of maybe get a sense of what that yeah. means, but maybe don't sort of um, haven't been given the opportunity to really hear like the yeah. definition of that. No, absolutely. So the intersectionality was a, a term coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, and so the way in which it was described is that that all of us hold uh, various identities, Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you meet at kind of the intersection of these identities, you'll find particular things. So it's almost if, if you're imagining going to like if you're going to someone's home and they say, oh, I'm on uh, 16th uh, Street uh, intersecting with like 8th Avenue mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there you can kind of pinpoint them. And I think in, in family systems, they may be referred to as like social locators yeah. mm-hmm. um, in some ways. Yep. And so it's these varying identities that we hold, but also add nuance and additional flavor mm-hmm. to maybe uh, specific experiences. So, for example, if I'm talking about masculinities, um, recognizing that there are various forms and expressions of masculinity. And so there isn't just one, although all of them across the board may hold similarities, mm-hmm. but it may vary based on ethnic identity, racial identity, mm-hmm. um, religious, um, mm-hmm. you know, religion identification, uh, socioeconomic status, uh, ability, uh, physical ability in mm-hmm. some ways. And so for me, just recognizing that as a black man, Haitian American, right, all mm-hmm. of those things inform my masculine expression. Yeah. Um, and even some of the lessons or belief systems that I've internalized and hold on to that may vary from someone who may be white, ident- a white person, um, right. cis or LGBTQ person. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Nikki, go ahead. But I'm, I'm, oh. I, th- I think a bunch of emojis with the head blowing up just happened with masculinities. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. No, and, what I, and of course, you know, you'll, Pete's going to laugh at this and, uh, you know, Gina, I know you've listened to some of the epi- our episodes, so maybe, maybe you will too. It's like, of course, the word that came to my head is like dialectics everywhere. It's like dialectical. Yeah. It's like, yeah. right? It's just so many dialectics, right? And, and, and acknowledging that there's like, there are going to be similarities and differences and making space for, for all of those pieces to be curious and identify all of those and recognize it's not going to be the same across again i'll say it again across context absolutely yeah yeah so So, do go go, do we want i would say do we want to go back to sort of like diving in a little bit yeah yeah go deeper with the so like I, i think what i'm hearing is it's the idea that so society places pressure on men in this example well, are we only talking, so if we're thinking about gender, so hold on, mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure I'm thinking about, so, because masculinity, see, this is, the, this is the thing that might be helpful for listeners. It's not just male, female, you know, and that's, yes. so certainly in the Western world, we have made this, uh, you know, very binary. Mm-hmm. And so 
well, let me ask you that. Is there space for fluidity as we talk about, and as you've you know done all this work around toxic masculinity, is there space for fluidity between masculine and feminine? Absolutely. I mean, I think a part of the work is to create that space and to break yeah. down those particular barriers. Yeah. Because um, a part of the toxicity is the rigidity of yeah. it as well, right? It's this boxing in, um, forcing people to kind of adhere to particular characteristics just because we identify with certain right things. So if because mm-hmm. I'm male identified and, and I align with that particular identification, that somehow that means I have to perform in these ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but if it doesn't feel natural to me, then what tends to happen, unfortunately, is that we sort of police each other back into that box. Yeah. Right. It's like almost the snipers set up at the roof <laughs> to keep the, mm-hmm. you know, to keep the prisoners yeah. at bay mm-hmm. and keep them confined and, and contained. And I think it, it's it's a similar thing, right? So and that's unfortunately where we kind of get into the anti-feminine language. Um, the homophobic or, or mm-hmm. anti-LGBTQ language that comes about to kind of push um, men identified folks back into those box or to adhere to those particular characteristics or ways of being. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the purpose is to definitely break down and, and recognize that there is fluidity. Yeah. Well, and, and to move away, what I'm also really hearing is um, like moving moving away from rules and rule governed behavior, right? So it's cultivating um, and I mean, this sort of a synonym to fluidity is like, is again, the flexibility around it. Um, and, and honestly, you know, it's, it's interesting. What was coming to my mind as you were speaking is I, I was imagining that there are probably, you know, probably maybe there are some listeners, um, even if clicking on this episode or beginning to hear us have this discussion, you know, thinking that like, why are we, t- um, and again, this is a, a general judgment narrative that exists in the world. Why are we talking about men? Like there's the patriarchy. Why are we talking about men? Why are we prioritizing men? You know, and I, I, cause I, cause I hear that by the way, cause I hear that from patient, female patients sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes a conversation I have with them. And obviously I'm, I'm the, um, I'm a, a cis a female in this conversation. Uh, um, and, and I think what's really uh, important uh, about what, what Jean is talking about and the work that, that you do, Jean, and I think you're beginning to sort of, um, uh, identify this. It's like these rule governed behaviors. It's not just about the impact on men in or, or cis men, right? It's it's like the impact on on I don't know. I'm going to get broad here on humans on functioning, right? That this these rules are. I'm, I'm, do you, I mean is that uh, do you agree with that or am Absolutely. I sort of on the right track there? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think um, it, it's an impact. One we want to recognize that when folks are impacted, especially when we're thinking about trauma work, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But I'm yeah. impacted from my own trauma. I'm going to, in some ways, right, develop these particular coping strategies that are maladaptive, that are problematic, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm going to, in some ways, engage with folks from that particular place. And so I think with men, um, you know, there are a set of things that we internalize and abide by that are even just problematic for ourselves yeah and then translate into our relationships and are super impactful in those particular areas i mean if, if we're looking at sort of just even suicide mm-hmm. um rates if we're looking at just lack of access to mental health mm-hmm. services not even talking about well medical services is what i meant right not yeah. even including mental health but just medical services in general going yeah. follow-ups um, you know, things that sort like there's even just a lower s- a percentage or if we're talking about survivorship of sexual assault or interpersonal mm-hmm. violence, that there are men who also are victims of it as boys um, and as adult males, but right. don't yeah. seek out services, don't report, um, don't discuss these particular things. So that's one portion of it. 
And then we're looking at other pieces of it when we're thinking about perpetration and just the gender identification of of those who maybe are perpetrating particular crimes, right? Mm. We're looking at percentages in those particular areas. So I think on both ends, we're recognizing that it, there's a crisis, in my opinion, um, yeah. that needs to be addressed, that needs to be acknowledged and needs to be discussed. So I think earlier when we were talking about just masculinities, right, and just embodying that, that it's not just men, right, who kind of mm-hmm. internalize yeah. those particular things, but it's, it's everyone across yeah. all genders, who internalize what we believe a man should be and how they should move and how they should interact. Well, it's like, sometimes I'll say to Nikki, she's dressed like a tomboy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm, but, I'm dressed like that today. Kind of actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but that, but that feeds that's, into it. So I think what I'm right. also trying that's to model right. there is like, we all have that story, you know, in psychology, we might call that an implicit bias. And, and so I think it's just been such an amazing at least for me as like an audience kind of watching you grow professionally in, 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 in this work, can you maybe think of like a really powerful time or like a powerful group? You know, obviously we have confidentiality. So sometimes we can't speak specifically to the group or, or the moment, but maybe some you know, for our listeners, like uh, illustrating how this can actually impact others. If you can think of like a time that you could share. No, absolutely. So I, I have, um, and I would say this doesn't even single out a, a, a client because so many of like my male identified clients come in and there's a similarity in existence. But one thing that stands out for me is uh, just thinking about the expression of love mm. yeah. um, or even affection <laughs> yes. yeah. and communication of emotion. So mm-hmm. a lot of my male clients will say, you know, that's not what I grew up on, right? That wasn't mm-hmm. my household at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, right, I was uh, suppressed or told, you know, kind of like shut the F up, you know, yeah. man mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. suck it up, um, deal with it. What are you crying for? Mm-hmm. Right? I'll give you something to cry about, which yep. is usually a physical threat. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. Saying that whatever, you know, issue that wasn't physical isn't enough to particularly express or have a genuine emotional reaction to. So in turn, what tends to happen is that they're so disconnected yeah. from emotional experiences um, that are happening before them within their partners or their kids, that there's an intense reaction to that. Yeah. So when when there there's an expression of very authentic, justified emotions, right, based on something that they did, there's an intense reaction and result on their end because it's almost like, what's the big deal? Mm. Right? Like, what is the big deal? Like, wh- why are we having this particular emotional expression? Is it necessary? Right. Then the engaging of minimizing. So it, they're so disconnected and removed yeah. uh, that even their empathic capacity is debilitated yeah. in some ways. Right. And that it, emotional intelligence in some ways is also stunted. Totally. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Th- that honestly, it's like, and I can share, it's like, this is, that is the thing. And I mean, it's such a, like, that breaks my heart. Like when you said that, when you said like, like the expression of love, you're going to cry. I, I'm, I'm a little teary actually. <laughs> to be honest, so I'm talking about it. And, and I don't, and I don't know if, um, I don't think Pete told this to Jean before I'll share and, and I'll clarify. Obviously I, I'm not the expert here. Uh, I defer, um, uh, graciously to Jean, but my dissertation was actually on adapting cognitive behavioral therapy for at the time, uh, I refer to it as traditional, a traditional masculine gender identity with, yeah. um, with cisgender men. And, and the reason, obviously I'm, um, I'm a cis woman. How I think the reason that always interested me was because I, it, it, it pains me so much to see yeah. that those stories and those shoulds and those rules impact 
a, a human in that way. And that's like when I'm working with, with male identified patients, what that's something I talk about all the time. I'll say you, you're a human being, yeah. you know, like, yes, you know, there are going to be differences in your biology and those that, that that's all true. I'm not denying that. And I was like, the, the stories that you're told I'll say are different than the stories that I'm told. Mm. And you're, you're, you deserve to experience love just as much as, as I do and express it. And that, so I, I'm just, I'm very, um, like, I'm, I'm so grateful that there is someone like you that's doing this kind of work and especially from, and, and for Pete too, I would say we need more male identified clinicians, actually. Yeah. That's another problem yeah. is that there are, you know, it's a, we have a very, um, female dominated, cis female dominated field. Well, there's another dialectic because it started off as very white male dominant. It, it did. It, well, that's really that it did. And then, it's, and then the now we're, has, the pendulum yeah. swung to like primarily female. And so yeah. forget about like issues of, of, of ethnic or racial <laughs> diversity and, you know, provider, um, I, I, the word that keeps coming to mind for me is vulnerability. So I can, yes, you know, again, yes. part of why I tapped into Gene and with some of the teams that I work with uh, is just to really help to just, because sometimes I like, I joke, I use humor uh, and- You? No. Oh, stop. <laughs> no. And, well, Call them on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I own it. But I, I joke sometimes, I say, I feel like such a good psychologist sometimes around- you know, some of these men, because really once we could, like when they build, when we build trust and we can just teach a little bit of this, like they're able to go home and like connect with their partner in a more effective way, or they're able to ask open-ended questions or, you know, and and it is really rewarding. And I can't even get teary eyed about it, Nikki, with you. Yeah. yeah, See, see, it it does, it does feel really good. So Gene, do you have like any tips or like, you know, kind of ways in which that you have found beneficial to help some people work through this? Um, I think one of the things that, that sticks out for me is, is, and I think it's just a general clinical practice, but just uh, mirroring an, a, an appropriate emotional reaction to a particular situation. Yeah. Um, so even as you talk about like joking, you know, I know from myself, some folks like I can minimize the severity of an issue yeah. through jokes because of the d- discomfort that I'm of experiencing course. by mm-hmm. actually recognizing right, the severity of that particular yep. issue. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of my male clients, my male identified clients is just really in the times where I find that they want to go to a joke, yeah. um, you know, or that they want to, uh, minimize the severity. I, I stick with the emotional expression or the feeling yeah. of what's happening to kind of help get them to understand that it's 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 okay yeah. to really feel the intensity. But not only is it okay, it's safe here to do so. Yeah, because I think a part of it that happens is is a dismantle of their safety, right? right? To say that I can safely go into an emotional place and in some ways it doesn't impact my gender identification, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, I think one of the tips for me um, that I utilize and definitely would encourage people is just being able to model that. And I think what's even more impactful is when you have male identified clinicians um, doing that with other male identified that clinicians. Is, so that's that what I always that's what I always yeah. say. I'm like the modeling. That's what I have. I have like yeah. two people I can refer to. And I'm like, they need I was like, I want the modeling. I'm like, I can only model to a degree. You know right. what I mean? It's yeah. not it's not the same. Yeah. Sometimes we try and just for listeners, like sometimes you try and connect gender or, you know, there's, there's mixed research around whether gender fit, racial fit, religious mm-hmm. fit, if that works in therapy. So there, you know, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't like a good dialectic, like we talk about here. Right. Whereas I say, it's not, not a one size fits all though. There, it's, it can <laughs> definitely, agree. definitely yeah. be helpful. 
I, I was wondering if we can maybe bring in, because I think what, what Jean's sharing um, is a nice segue into this is like some of the Eastern stuff, because I'm really, you know, because I think, you know, Jean, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I think really what you're describing too is like, a, a very mindful approach, right? Like oh, inviting course, somebody yeah. into like the mindfulness of emotion in the moment and tolerating the discomfort. And I'm, I mean, I guess it's a question for, for both of you guys, like one, like what are some of the additional maybe Eastern practices you weave in to target yeah. this, but also what is, what does like Buddhism say about this? Yeah. Well, and, and that'll be a nice way to kind of bring this to a wrap too, but like maybe thinking about it with your permission, Nikki, so spirituality yeah. <laughs> in general, like if, if Gene has found, yes. you know, space for spirituality in the mm, practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think uh, for me, it, in, in a lot of my mindfulness practice, I have to transparently say I've learned from Pete. <laughs> so, <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> just in case people didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but, yeah so I, I've definitely found like just value and grounding work, um, just getting folks to be able to be present with the here and now, but not just kind of subjecting it to this idea of just meditation or this traditional look or way yeah. of meditation, but yeah. just recognizing that activities can also be moments mm -hmm. of totally. meditation mm -hmm. um, and just being present and being connected with that particular thing before you. Um, so I think that's one thing that I've kind of fall to where uh, a lot of um, my male identified clients, there's a discomfort in doing a grounding exercise in the beginning mm -hmm. of our session. But then because uh, when it's one of trust, right, it's yeah. I'm closing my eyes in front of you. Um, I've never had a guy ask me to meditate or do a grounding exercise <laughs> right, with right. him. Um, so it's, I think, it's like, intimate. It's it intimate. Is. It's and probably it can feel very exposing yes. and yes. vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is contrary to masculinity. Therapy right. is contrary to masculinity. It's this mm. idea of exposing vulnerability, feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's one. A part of the reason why we don't find as many male identified clinicians yeah. um, within a work. But then I also think that's why probably therapy also acts as a barrier for a right. lot of men identified folks to access because it's like, I'm going to go talk about my feelings for yeah. what, right? <laughs> right, right. What's right. It's the, like, what's, doesn't make sense. Like, what's the it point? It doesn't make that, sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, this was, all, well, we could obviously keep going. Well, but can you, can you say just a little bit what Buddhism says about any like the concepts of masculinity or if I'm, I, I, wonder, and, I feel like there's maybe something to say. Uh, well, there's always something to say, Nikki, <laughs> but we might be out of time. So it might just uh, have to wait for another episode. Uh, <laughs> in the next episode. Damn, yeah. It's a cliffhanger. Oh, it's a cliffhanger. I'm like, wait, I need to know more. Well, you're always seeking knowledge, but Jean, I really appreciate you coming yes, on today. You. This was really such a pleasure. And, uh, you know, it, you've, you're doing such good work and I am uh, honored to get to know you and, and to be your friend and colleague. Oh, absolutely. Thank you both for having me. And, and Pete, you know, I love you. You're, you're one of the greatest guys that I, I know. So thank you, you for constantly being there. So. You say that to everybody. I love you too. No, I don't. Trust me. I know you don't. <laughs> There's that masculinity I, thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love you too. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. This has been When East Meets West. I'm Dr. Pete Economo. And I'm Dr. Nikki Rubin. Be present, be brave. This has been When East Meets West. All material is based on opinion and educational training of Drs. Pete Economo and Nikki Rubin. Content is for informational and educational purposes only.